Sequence is loading. I have a JD and an MBA from Harvard, and even I can't make heads nor tails of this deception and fraud. It's deception and fraud. Are you ready? ready? Relax. Denny Craig. All right, everybody. Walk and love. Objection. You're a witness. Objection. 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 Stop it. Outrageous. Get up. From Forest Rain Studios, the home of Boston-Legal.org, you are connected to Boston Illegal. And as a story of felonies and misdemeanors, handcuffs, bingo, hands, necessity, and being a hoot. It's as simple as that. It's Saturday, December 17, 2005. It's the weekend after Boston Legal Tuesdays. I'm Dana Greenlee. You're listening to Boston Illegal. It's the unofficial weekly audio experience of Boston Legal. That's that David E. Kelly wonderful television show that's produced here in the U.S. And ABC brings it to you, 20th Century Fox, and of course the talented cast and crew and what 675 producers of Boston yeah, no League. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to essentially deconstruct the 10th episode of season 2 called Legal Deficits and you just heard the voice of my co-host Kyle. Kyle. Hello. Hi Kyle. <laughs> Kyle Abney from down in uh, down south Florida. Yeah. How you doing? How was your week? I haven't talked to you since mid-November since, uh, what was the name of that episode? That would be Ass Fat Jungle. Thanks. Still not saying that word, are we? No. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. <laughs> you had a busy, what, month? I yeah, I, I have, but um, just got out for winter break, so things are good. Except for the shiner that you got with an elbow from basketball yeah, practice. Yeah, this morning popped in the face. I'll be all right, though. Uh, you can see your notes, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> we're looking forward to hearing your good, bad, and the ugly in a few. I will get to that. All right. Well, you know what? I had an idea. Before we jump into the the episode, I decided it'd be a good idea to dedicate each podcast to somebody. And and since it was my idea, I've already picked someone to dedicate it to. Okay, let's hear it. All right. I'm going to dedicate this one to Shelly and Myron. Now, Shelly is the men's costume supervisor. Do you think she does a good job dressing those guys? Yeah, especially Denny. Yeah, nice suits, (laughs) Shelly. So to you, Shelly and Myron... Myron is, I became aware of Myron in season one. He's the gaffer. And I don't know, I just always had an affinity with the electricians, you know, and the gaffers and stuff. I used to work actually for a group of lighting directors in LA. Myron, I like to call him Sparks in my imagination. Because, <laughs> you know, he's an electrician guy. Yeah, and, and I actually wrote a little, like, fiction piece about Myron Sparks. If you can find it somewhere, it's it's linked in a roundabout way on boston-legal.org. So Myron and Shelley, <clears throat> this podcast's for you. Wow. Thank um, you, both of you. You know, we're not going to have a new episode until next year. I know. <laughs> I always it like sounds, to say that. sounds bad to say that, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like 25 more days. <laughs> I never get tired of saying that whole at the end of the year. Not until, I'm not going to see you till next year. Yeah, when really it's like a week away. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I cling to Oldest. my old joke ever. Uh, thank you. I'm a corny girl. <laughs> Kyle, tell everybody, if this doesn't sound redundant, where they can hear us. All right. Well, if you're listening to us, you probably already know this, but you can stream or download this podcast at several different places. You can get it straight from Dana's website at boston-legal.org. We're also at podcast.yahoo.com, odio.com. We're at iTunes. And if you want to go old-fashioned way, you can just search Google for Boston Legal Podcast. And we're also now on your mobile phone. 
you can go to Melodio.com, that's M-E-L-O-D-I-O.com, to download a free software for your mobile phone and listen to the podcast on your mobile phone. That's a cool new way to do it. It is. And quick reminder, you can call anytime and record your comments about the most recent episode or our podcast at 1-800-986-8290. That's toll-free in the United States. Or you can email us directly at bostonillegal at gmail.com. Sounds good. Let's talk a little bit about legal deficits. All right. We're going to first deconstruct the episode, as always. Start off with deconstructing the latest episode. We'll touch on our parallel universe, Trek in the Courtroom as there seems to be some sort of Star Trek precedent for Jerry Hans Espenson. <laughs> and we'll merge into Boston Legal News of the Week, and then at the very end, your calls and emails. Oh, and not to forget, the good, bad, and the ugly from Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Well, this um, episode, we'll take it storyline by storyline, as always. But there are only two storylines. <laughs> this makes it a little easier. Of course, Brad facing three felony charges. Melissa's fiscal issues. Of course, we can't ever leave our podcast without doing the balcony scene. Right. There's always something interesting there. Uh, this episode was written by David E. Kelly and Lawrence Brock. Lawrence Brock is a producer on Boston Legal, but he also wrote uh, Witches of Mass Destruction. I thought that was a good one, too. That was a very good episode. That was the one with the uh, that one army military. Of, yeah, it drew up a lot of controversy on the podcast, too. Ooh, yes, it did. <laughs> As did this one, which we'll talk about in the emails. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by Mike Listo. He's Directed a lot of episodes, Nemo, yeah. for instance, you know, and one of the funniest. Uh, yes, and It Girls, which is one of my favorite. Okay, Brad in the handcuffs. That's how we start out. Actually, we start out with somebody in jail. Let's let's mention Melissa's stuck in jail. So, why don't we just reflect here for a moment, Kyle, on how many how many <laughs> criminals work at this, this law firm? Exactly. <laughs> Count them down. Well, we had Catherine in jail. We've had Denny in for contempt. Presumably Alan for contempt as well, even though we never saw him no. physically in the cell. <laughs> and I'm sure that's not the end of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to just jump into our first soundbite, which is actually after Brad's been let off in handcuffs. And now he's facing, I guess, is this called an arraignment? Or when you go before the judge and they kind of lay out the charges? Is that, was that I'll, what that's called? I'll go with arraignment. That sounds nice to me. I guess we're not lawyers. <laughs> Two one 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 three Commonwealth versus Bradley Chase assault with a deadly weapon. Wave reading, judge, and ask that these ridiculous charges be dismissed on the grounds of ridiculousness. These charges are anything but ridiculous, Your Honor. The defendant abducted one innocent man, threatened him with torture, then assaulted clergy with a deadly weapon. Pick, 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 pick. pick. You think this is funny, Your Honor? My client saved the innocent life of a little kidnapped child who was innocent and utterly. Kidnapped. I watched the news like everyone else, Mr. Crane, and your client's conduct was shocking. Your Honor, I'd like to move for an immediate trial. Hold on. The facts are not in dispute. The district attorney clearly wants his 15 minutes. Why should we make him wait? If you think this is about me grabbing a spot, It's always like about that with you, Frank. You've been running for office since you got out of law school. Hold on. You two will refrain from personal exchanges. But it this. is personal, Your Honor. We have a history and the opportunity for him to saddle me up as a cause. You attacked a man, cutting off his fingers. As someone who took an oath to uphold the law, yes, I take that personally. Good soundbite, Frank. You may want to save it for the cameras. Which he'll be asking you to allow in court? My consent. Hey, I will make the rules in this courtroom. Are you ready to proceed to trial? Assuming he's not alleging any diminished capacity I or... plead not guilty on the grounds of necessity. Necessity? Yes, you probably skipped over it in law school. Necessity. Look it up. 
hack. Oh, I'm still thinking about Brad being saddled up. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? That reminds me of a secretary scene, a scene in secretary. Yeah, um, let's talk a minute about ADA Frank Ginsburg, the rival from college from Moot Court. There's Moot Court again, popping yeah. up. <laughs> He's a, uh, you know, he, do you know he was in the practice as a member of Crane Pool and Schmidt as a member of the firm? I did not. Isn't that wild? <laughs> that is crazy. Season eight. character in this episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they. no wonder Shirley knows about his work, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was in The Firm, which was uh, episode 19, so it was just the time when they were introducing, you know, the, the new, Crane, Paul, and Schmidt yeah, into it. Yeah, other firm. He was a Sheldon Modry. He was, I can kind of remember him, because I didn't watch it this last time through. It's running on FX in the mornings, and right. he was one that was very intimidated by Denny, and kind of. I don't know. I guess he left and became ADA. <laughs> Who knows? No, different person, all a different character. Yeah, same act. They must have liked him back yeah. then and found a better role for him here. He's all over the place. Just this fall, just just since this fall, he's been on over there and House and Desperate Housewives. So he's a gets around. He's bouncing around, yeah. Yeah, chameleon. It's interesting to see the rivalry between Brad and, and Frank, as opposed to between Brad and Alan, which always seems to be what the rivalry is, and. um Brad's rolling the dice a little bit here, but he thinks he can win with this immediate trial, so that's what he's going for. Brad is a confident man. He, he is. never second-guesses himself. I wouldn't say arrogant, but I would say confident. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say arrogant. You're right. It's just confident. It's it's part of that, you know, you make a plan for battle, you march into battle, and you don't change your mind, I guess. No, and, and you do what you know you can do well, and, and if you win, you win. <laughs> You know, they even so, even as uh, determined as Brad is, and as determined as Denny is, because you know his his uh, defense is Denny Crane. They still have a little group meeting over at the in the offices at Crane Pool and Schmidt. Shirley is a little concerned by Denny sort of handling this case by himself, and maybe, so. yeah, maybe, maybe yes, yeah, exactly. Maybe Brad wasn't quite on board with it too. The way I, I got the impression he really wanted Denny, but that's when Shirley asked him kind of on the side, he goes, "Well." <laughs> But Maybe I, not alone. Yeah. How classic, though, was it? I mean, just, do you not laugh every time you see the scene when uh, Shirley turns to Dean and he says, and remember, don't make this about yourself. And he, he kind of does this little thing with his hands, like, what? <laughs> he was shocked. Complete shock to him. Don't make it since about when is, me? when is something not about him? I'm the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. It was a, a poignant scene moving through the storyline a bit uh, b- before the actual trial, where Brad, you know, as confident as he is, you know, he's sitting in his office alone, lights are out, looks like everybody's pretty much gone home, kind of thinking. Got that stoic look on his face. I had to freeze frame it and kind of check out the little things in his office, you know, the, the set designer, what he puts in the office. See his little prompts? Yeah, I saw the little American flag along with another yellow flag. I don't know what it was. What hmm. is the state of uh, Massachusetts flag yellow? I would think so. And they're sitting there. It's got some oriental sort of sculpture in the back. There was not a lot of clues to his personality there, but. Well, he's a very minimalistic person. I wouldn't expect him to have, like, a poster or something on the wall. Let's have fun. Exactly. All right. Well, this is what transpired when Denise happened to see him in his office and popped in for a moment. I am so sorry. I'm the one who led you into all this. You have nothing to apologize for, Denise. I made my own decision. But a week ago, you were up for partner, and now you're up on trial. Denise. The little boy is alive. Unfortunately, that's not the issue. Well, it is for me. 
Are you always like this? Like what? Brad, you could be looking at jail. It's okay to show a little fear. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. That's it. Denise, what do you want me to do? Cry? We got the kid back. If I had it to do all over again, I would do it again. I'll live with the consequences. Okay. So I'll see you in court. Yep. He'd do it again. He would. I mean, that's comforting in a way, but I think I keep trying to marry that up with Alan's reaction, you know, his actual condemnation about what Brad did. Never mind what Catherine has done. And, you know, he defended Catherine, but this is like... He likes Catherine. He doesn't really like Brad. You know, but is is it about Brad or is it is it his moral outrage? Okay, yeah. Well, I think the the way Brad looks at it, he he looks at it in black and white. Kid was saved. It doesn't matter what he did. The kid was saved. That's it. Alan sees the shades of gray of, you know, what he did to get the end result wasn't right. That's the difference between the two of them. Hmm. We're going to have to take this up a little bit more in the balcony scene because there's a little more, a little bit more shown there too. Yeah. And I've been mulling this over a lot in, in our little role playing group in live journal. I mean, the Brad live journal and the Alan live journal person are just going back and forth, back and forth about, you know, what was right. And, and it's really making me think about this. It's hard. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you think that there was any chemistry there? Did you see any kind of chemistry between? I definitely saw it. Did you? I didn't see it. I I, th- I, th- I mean, it was subtle, but I saw it. I thought it was there. I mean, we we see these other moments, right? We'll be coming up. There's the elevator moment. There's the, you know, verdict moment. Right. I'm not getting it. You aren't? No. <laughs> and you'd think I would want to. <laughs> you, yeah, you would want to hook up with somebody. I'm all for him hooking up with someone. <laughs> and I love Denise. I think she's great. But She is great. Uh, uh, I think it's the beginning. Like, it's not obvious, like, flirting yet. But. Yeah. They're definitely both of them to know are, each other. Nothing else. Neither of them are harmonic or. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're really not in touch with their feelings at some point, or they're burying them deep. But of course, well, she's with. Maybe would... they'll help each other out with that. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Back to the storyline. Uh, this is a wonderful little scene where they're in the courtroom and Denny is questioning Brad. They. <laughs> they had a plan. They had a plan. Brad. First question. I got involved because my colleague Denise Bauer came to me distraught that her housekeeper's child had been kidnapped and frustrated the police and FBI were making no progress. Second question. I went to a friend of mine, Kevin Drummond, at the FBI and asked him for help. Third question. He told me that while the FBI was limited by state action, that private citizens had sometimes successfully taken things into their own hands. Fourth question. Objection. He's not asking any questions. I told him last night the questions I was going to ask him. Judge, I'm just trying to speed things up for the jury, who I know are already annoyed at even being here for this ridiculous prosecution. Objection. Mr. Crane. Call me Denny, Judge. Denny Crane. You will ask the questions in their entirety so that we may understand what the witness is answering. Outrageous. Okay, we have to just call out Judge Clark Brown once again. Outrageous. Outrageous. Shocking. Henry Gibson. <laughs> he's great. Okay, he's got to be one of my favorite judges. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they keep bringing him back. Oh, man. All the way back to Death Be Not Proud. I think that's yep. when he first made that big impact in on the... The, uh, the Shelley Long. Shelley Long. Yep. What was she? She was an infomaniac. An infomaniac. That's my word. Yeah. That's not my word. <laughs> no. Oh, no. All right. It goes on from there. A little bit more of Judge Brown and um, 
in the cross-examination, but I just had to stop for a moment. That's when you used violence. Threatened violence. Only threatened? Only threatened. Didn't you? Did not. What a thing. He's making light of a kidnapping, false imprisonment. Objection. You're a witness. Objection. 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 Stop it! None of us is making light of this, Judge. We're just trying to put some perspective on There's things. There's no question before the witness. Sustained. What can you tell us about perspective? Objection. That's a question. Sustained. The brother told you about the priest. Yes. And that's when you went to the church and cut off his fingers. I swung an axe at his imported door knowing it cost a lot of money. How much? $9,000. Dollar? Dollars. For a door? He somehow could afford it. Objection. Bitch, bitch. Mr. Crane. Call me Denny, Jim. No, I will not call you Denny. So you swung at the door. I only wanted to make him think that I was about to destroy the door, and he stuck his hand out right at the last second. I never meant to make contact. It was an accident. You didn't mean to hit his hand. No, and I regret that I did. To the extent that it led to the safe recovery of Tito Perez, I'm glad about that. But I never meant to cause any physical injury to Father Ryan. And again, I apologize. The first part of that soundbite, I'm just going to put the $100 bet down. There. It was at least 10 takes on that. Yeah, the, well, the dialogue's so fast. It was fast, and there was so many people interjecting. Objection. <laughs> well, over. I, don't, I don't even know. I, don't, I mean, I don't claim to know much about how they film these things, but I'm fairly sure they might have done it piece at a time, you know, because the camera had to whip back and forth between all those different people who were saying something. That's true. I mean, they, they could have, have pasted just, it together. They, yeah, pasted it. <laughs> Edited. Um, yeah, I, I guess that could be, but it just seemed like flow really well. I, I guess they might have just done it all live, you know. But we'll... Like if they did, though, like you said, it would have taken more than a few takes. More than a few. It was great. There's another conference meeting back at the Crane Pool and Schmidt offices. Shirley's a little worried. She wants to make sure, you know, after the thing he pulled, that right. that he can really handle this. So she goes to Paul. Paul, <laughs> Paul is in the scene. It's wonderful to see Paul every now and then. He has a joke. Is, is he on. actually in his office? Is this the scene where he's actually in his office? We think he has an office now. He's not in the conference room. No, anymore. his conference room has been his office. <laughs> can Can someone tell me? Anybody who knows, maybe you know what what is his title there? I mean, why isn't he being considered for a partner? Maybe he doesn't do trials. He's definitely a managing. He's still, yeah, he's something. management, but is he? I don't know. Is there a managing partner situation where he's a partner, but he's not really on the letterhead because he just like orders paper clips or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but he seems to have so much power, though. He does. I mean, he's always included in everything. Okay, but we've never seen him in court. Well, let's see what uh, what he and Shirley are, are thinking about at this point. Please tell me you're making this up. I am not. He said question one, question two, question three, and so forth, almost as if he were deliberately mocking the whole proceeding. And we could very well lose, Paul. Is he out of his mind? Well, he's always out of it. Clearly, it's where he's most comfortable. What are you doing in my office? This is my office, Denny. Oh, that must mean I've come to see you. Why? I don't know. It could be to say we were right to mock the proceedings. A child was saved. That's what you say in your closing. It isn't. Yes, it is. And that's the button for your closing. It's that simple. It's not polite to talk about crazy people behind their backs. It's that simple. I'm glomming on to that particular phrase. I, yeah, I am too. Yeah, I, I love that too. This this is the button on your closing. It's a new jargon I didn't realize is out there. So it's like the punchline. It's a good joke. Well, we go, we're going to jump forward now to Shirley's closing because she does a really a phenomenal job. And despite the fact that Denny about to get, you know, he almost gets up to give the closing and she has to like, don't even think about it. No. Even though when it came time to question Brad, he kind of 
forgot that he had to stand up and walk up to the witness. Yeah. But this time he was ready to go. But no, no, no. Shirley's going to take it. We keep hearing about the rights of the accused in this country. What about the victims? What about his rights? We're supposed to say, sorry, Tito, we'd love to save you, but there are these rules. There's a murder in this country every 31 minutes, a forcible rape every six minutes, a robbery every one minute. But hey, let's all band together and protect the constitutional principles that make this country great. Things clearly got ugly here. But a human life was at stake. With all due respect to the civil liberties of the suspect's brother, with great deference to canon law and Father Ryan's Italian-imported door and his fingers, the life of a four-year-old boy was at stake. Brad Chase saved that little boy's life. It's that simple. So, Kyle, what was it that Denny mouthed to Shirley during that musical interlude? And yeah, I was it. It kind of looked, looked like, like to end. me. All right, and that that worked out because that was exactly it—the moral outrage of what happened to the boy. You yeah. saved him. And That's the same way, like I said before, the way Brad looked at it, the end justified it. That's right. The greater good. Right. Well, finally, to wrap this up, our last soundbite for this storyline is, of course, the verdict and another chance to hear from Judge Clark Brown. <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> On the charge of kidnapping, we find the defendant, Bradley Chase, not guilty. On the charge of false imprisonment, we find the defendant, Bradley Chase, not guilty. On the charge of aggravated assault, we find the defendant, Bradley Chase, not guilty. Jury is dismissed. The court thanks you for your service. Mr. Chase, you're free to go. Though, personally, I find your behavior to be shocking and outrageous. We are adjourned. Thank you. You got lucky, Brad. You do know that. I know. Denny, thanks. You know, I've heard on a few message boards where they say, yeah, Shirley's right. He got lucky. I don't see that at all. I don't think it was a luck at all. I think it was just common sense. And Well, yeah, and he yeah. knew what he was doing. But yeah. the, the lucky thing is, the comment is that he could have been in serious trouble here and he managed to get out of it. I guess through talent and, and persuasion right. <laughs> and, and common sense. Well, there was another that another another poignant moment, and I'm not talking about the look between Brad and Denise at the end, which again just didn't spark anything. You're not feeling it. Not feeling it. I am. Oh, good. You're such a girl. But no, I'm kidding. Sorry, Kyle. I resent that. I'm sorry, Kyle. Uh, I did see it between Denny and Brad, or you know, an interesting thing. I don't know if it was poignant in the you sense. You just like the slash better no. than straight stuff. Oh please, no, <laughs> no, 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 I did it, Brad. But the father son thing, I'll cry over a father son thing any time. Right. And uh, Brad leaned in and said, "Thank you." Simple, but kind yeah. of really trying to get his eye. Denny kind of just looked at him for a moment. I had that flashback last season when Brad came in to congratulate him for winning a case, and Denny went off on him because he been honest with him and said that he was a complete joke 
And I wondered then if, you know, I just wondered about, I just wonder about their relationship a lot. I want them to be okay. And yeah. I, I think Alan has led Denny completely down astray. his path. Yeah, astray. <laughs> well, it could be argued whether that's astray or not, but. Okay. Yeah. You know what side I'm on. <laughs> I do. So it was a nice little, little moment there. And, and yeah, okay, Brad and Denise, they did have maybe a, an inkling. You're so cold. I'm cold. <laughs> Oh, I'd like to see something. And I think they'll bring it up, but she has to kind of get through her coming relationship and, and sadness, you know, with Michael J. Fox, the post okay. character coming. Well, up. I think the whole thing started in the last episode with uh, the crying on his shoulder. Yeah. You didn't see it then either? I just think it was the, it's the moment. It's the relief of the trial. It's the relief of Tito being rescued. And that's, that's all that they're, that's all that Brad is thinking of, I think. I don't know. Oh, no. I, when, when, it's, when pretty people are involved, there's always sex, sexual tension. Okay. <laughs> I have seen discussion about this, and one of the comments someone made was that they, they look so much alike. <laughs> they they kind of do. They're kind of that both square-jawed, yeah. blonde. And chiseled. Chiseled. Shall we take a big step into Alan's world? We shall. Melissa. Well, we, how would you characterize this storyline? Bingo. <laughs> yes. What is that with bingo? Let's let Melissa sort of describe what the fiscal issues that she's facing are. My credit card bills. You're aware I have some uh, fiscal issues. It's come up. So a few months ago, I owe one amount. The next month, it, it like triples. So I stop buying stuff. And the next month, bam, it's even higher. So I call the 800 number, not Lizzie. And who answers but Miss Jones? Yes. From New Delhi, India. Not Brighton, not Melrose, India. I mean, surprise, she's not terribly helpful, right? So far, I'm on her side. And I talked to her supervisor who says that I owe this money plus more. It just doesn't make any sense. I need to talk to someone in America. Hello? So all I can get is an address for Prominence's main office in Wilmington, Delaware. Like, I can afford to go there. So I call them. I get a local office. I go there. And it's basically just a storefront. With a big window. <sighs> I'm not paying for it. You are paying for it. And I want to see those credit card bills. <laughs> what? Suddenly you're my father now? Yes, sir. Oops. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that. No. She... Alan, maybe, in a... he, he, he actually has credit card bills now spread over his desk as he's trying to understand and read the fine print. You know, it's complicated, right? Do you have a credit card? I, I don't. You don't at this point, right? Now you know. You've, you're shielded with armor and, and information, so you can now go and, and choose an appropriate oh, one. I, I know to be careful, yeah. All right. He decides to ask Denny for some help, and Denny refers him to Jerry Hans Espenson, <laughs> which is, let's just take a second and say this is uh, Christian Clemenson, the actor, and a friend of mine told me that he was he's actually a close, personal, old friend of James Spader. So that's kind of cool. They've stayed in contact. They they were in a movie together. We mentioned this last week. Bad Influence back in 1990. Um, Christian played Pismo Bull, his brother. Uh, he was also in season two of The Practice. There's an Ally McBeal appearance and L.A. Law. So he's been around. But the interesting thing is he was also in Family Ties. And since Jerry Hans Espenson will be around for the next episode, which is Cancer Man Can, and that is the episode that introduces the arc with Michael J. Fox, also of Family Ties, it's just reunion time. Six degrees. Now, oh, and and just one more thing. Good old IMDb. It's the one that um, jogged my memory. But Christian Jerry Hands, he was in the West Wing. I, you know, and I know West Wing. I've seen it so many times by heart, practically. And I remember 
the episode The Women of Kumar, where he played a Smithsonian curator, and he was actually very snooty and, and talking to uh, C.J. Craig about uh, the value of, I think it was a painting that they had found in the basement or something that belonged to a citizen. And um, he, <laughs> he just, he was great. I just can't picture that that's his face, but I guess if IMDb says so. IMDb is never wrong. Never wrong. All right. Well, without further ado, let's introduce ourselves or let him introduce himself. Here's Jerry. The contract was deliberately written to confuse you. Bait and switch. Bingo. Promise one thing. Say 0% interest. Then they up it to 30%. Bingo. But isn't that illegal? Used to be. Used to have usury laws, but the states wanted the credit card business, so poof, gone. Bingo. Ever inquire about a car loan? Uh, actually, yes, once. Bingo. But I didn't buy the car. It doesn't matter. It's called universal default. Credit bureaus share your information, all of it. Your credit card company just heard about your asking for a car loan. Bingo. They raise your rates. Why? Because they can. Why doesn't he move his hand? OCC is supposed to police. They don't. Bought off by the credit card lobbyists. He leaves the is room. Is he coming back? <laughs> I have no idea. Jerry. <laughs> he got up and left. He was just pacing so much, and one of his pace little jaunts kept him going right out the door and down the it hallway. Took, took him out the door, and then he didn't come back. No, he didn't. Actually, I had to look up OCC. I wondered what it was. And it's Office of Comptroller of Currency. And then, lo and behold, the the next day, I got an email where someone was looking for the transcript of that. And he says, my interest uh, was because a legal deficit script mentioned the agency I work for and wanted to see what was said. Um, I didn't see the episode, but I really enjoy the show. I think the actors have way too much fun. Anyway, so I, I just said, hey, is your agency was mentioned? Was it perhaps the OCC? And he wrote back that, yes, I work for the OCC. And he'd let us know if they issue any press release. But he says he'd like to remain an anonymous source. But and I will keep that confidentiality. But we exchanged a few more emails. And he did say, you can at least say that the OCC is aware of the mention. And I know they are because I think this is from them. I noticed in my visitor stats that uh, the IP address uh, from the treasury.gov domain visited uh, the ISPs described as the Executive Office of Asset Forfeiture. Interesting. <laughs> and I thought he, if, for a moment there, I thought he said OCD, and I thought, the, yeah, oh, there's I'm, the clue. I was going to mention that if you didn't. Okay, sorry. I mean, why, 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 what's the reason for the hands? Yeah, the hands. Um, if, you, if you've been, if you know my website by heart, <laughs> I remember about, I don't know, early October, I think I put up a casting call for that at Character, and. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, oh, very good, you too. I'm just trying to remember where, well, well, it's probably on the news page. Anyway, they were looking for someone that, definitely, you know, was antisocial, could not deal with people and put his hands on his, but he, he wants to be partner and yeah. that, that will play into next episode a little bit. I think it's a more of a nervousness thing than anything else. That's why he didn't want to speak to anyone. And he yeah. said he'd type on his computer and let Alan read over his shoulder. Yeah. Let's jump into, um, an, another rant that Alan seems to have as he's learning more and more about the credit card industry. The deadbeats are the ones who pay off their debt. Bingo. Within the credit card industry, they're called deadbeats because they don't make any money off of them. The ones who don't pay off, they're the preferred customers because they're the ones they make money off of. They target people they know won't be able to pay. People like Melissa. Bingo. You making fun of me? No. 
Sir, you said what I say. That's making fun. No, it's just... I used to have a dog, you see, and Bingo was his name-o. B-I... Never mind. How we doing? We're suing them. Who? The company that gave you the credit card, Prominence Bank. We're suing them? Can't sue, can't sue. Too big, too big. The bigger they are, Jerry. (laughs) The harder they fall. We're suing them. Hmm. Can't sue, can't sue. That cracks me up every time. Too big, too big. Too big, too big. He's scared to death. I just have, I want to know the story about Bingo because the first thing that popped in my head, and maybe I just totally off the wall, but, um, Bingo was a, a word that was always used by a character in The Lone Gunman, you know, was from the X-Files. Ringo Langley always said Bingo, Bingo. So I don't know. Maybe you never someone, know. You never know. You just go with your gut. Maybe, well, who's the co-writer on this? Lawrence Brock? Maybe he's a fan. Yeah, someone actually, and I was looking through IMD, someone from this cast was in The Lone Gunman. I, it might be the Texan. I mean, the, the credit card guy. Somebody, I can't remember who. And I didn't bring it up because it was really obscure. Melvin. But now maybe. <laughs> Melvin? Melvin. So, shall we talk to Melvin here? Let's hear Melvin. Melvin introduces himself. Melvin Palmer, how are you? I'm grand, actually. But I go by Alan Shore. <laughs> a pleasure. This is Melissa Hughes. I would be your plaintiff. And a real honor to meet you, Melissa. Melvin Palmer. Jerry Espenson, he doesn't shake. Excellent. Well then, shall we get started? You're not going to be cheerful about all this, are you? You know, I have been told to keep my exuberance down until people have had their morning coffee. <laughs> Let me tell you a little about me. Oh dear. I am a problem solver. It's what I love to do. You know, I consider it a personal failure and one of my cases ends up in court. I also feel I haven't succeeded when people walk away from one of my tables... I'm happy. It's actually our table. What I do in matters like this, I set aside my whole day, okay? Because the goal is finding a solution, one that works for you and one that works for us. That's just the way I work. So this doesn't have to be an acrimonious experience. Wonderful. Why don't we begin then by you giving her back all her money? (laughs) Well, I don't know if we can do that, but I do think we can make this pretty young woman happy. Okay, then. And we have the saying in Texas, time to let the horses out of the barn. <laughs> we should really make just a one long sort of snippet of all his colloquialisms. You know, his Texas good old boy. The horse. later one I didn't really get. Which one was that? The, the one about you're all hat, no, bon- no cattle. I, maybe he just is a poser. You know, he just wears the Texas hat, which is true with Alan. <laughs> <laughs> only, he, I mean, only when he was in Texas, though. He didn't own any cattle. I don't know. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about the the guy who plays the prominence attorney, Melvin Palmer. Uh, the actor's name is Christopher Rich, and his most famous role to television viewers will be as the dim-witted anchorman Miller Redfield on Murphy Brown, which we all know uh, Candace Bergen starred on. So there's more six degrees. Yep. We got to just throw away the six degree concept and just say two, two, three, that was, maybe yeah, at that the was most. Two right there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, Hans can't take it anymore. <laughs> no. Hans jumps up and he, he freaks, you know. He says he just can't just sit there and let this guy smooth talk everybody. Not that he's fooling anybody, I guess. No. Let's hear what happens. I can see you and I need to go out and shoot some ducks together. Do you explain all the credit terms to your customers? Well, they're on the back of every application. Like this. 
with a tiny print? I have a JD and an MBA from Harvard, and even I can't make heads nor tails of this deception and fraud. It's deception and fraud. <laughs> well, look who found his tongue. I love it. <laughs> deception and fraud. Deception and fraud. Can't sue. Can't sue. Too big. Too, too big, big. Too big. He likes repeating. <laughs> he does. Twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> They they go on and talk about uh, the shoot ducks together. Oh my goodness! Troy says that uh, you f- you find your clients in these dire straits and you market directly to them. And you want to have this lifelong relationship. He says I had a former client who kind of operated his business that way. Really? What kind of work was he in? Said Melvin, and the answer was he sold heroin. Of course, he's a drug dealer. This is what the credit cards companies are. They're frauds. He suckered him into it that because. Melvin was all like interested at first, like really, you know someone who does something similar to what I do, <laughs> and then nailed them with a he sold heroin line. Okay, we're gonna embark on what has now become, or will become, or probably already is, a classic Alan Shore speech. And this thing never, of course, goes to any kind of trial. It's all in the conference room, and we're just gonna start down that slope. But I'm telling you, I've got so many emails from people asking for the transcript of that speech. Which, by the way. My good friend, I'm a mess from Canada has done her great job and transcribed it. It's on the website and I refer to a ton of people there, but literally from everybody wanted to see that speech. That's a great monologue. It was a great, it was full of facts and figures. And might I just take this moment to point everybody, and I've done this before to a website called footnotetv.com on the front. This guy, he's an attorney. Actually, he, he works for such a, one of the biggest law firm, I guess, on the East Coast that was actually the only law firm ever mentioned in the West Wing. It was that his law firm. It's a real law firm. And, uh, wow. I know it's the law firm that uh, Sam Seaborn worked for. Anyway, cool. if you remember that. But anyway, in real life. So go to footnotetv.com, check, click on the Boston Legal um, thing, and it's a description about all kinds of information where you can get more research on the credit card advice and stuff. I guess there was a frontline documentary on it called The Secret History of the Credit Card. Any links right to the PBS page all about it. We can get like handy information. Talks about that universal default clause that really made a play into this, this issue too. Yep. All right. So let's start and let's, we'll be commenting. We'll be stopping and commenting here and there on Alan's speech, but here it is in part. Here's the thing about me. I am a hoot. But I insist on putting adversary back into the system. And I do it openly and notoriously for all to hear. Well, a swell guy like you doesn't want the public to know that of the thousands of industries tracked by the Better Business Bureau, the credit card racket is number one in customer complaints. You don't want them to know that you deliberately target Those who won't be able to pay off their debts. People you call revolvers. People who see 0% interest in big blue print and don't know that with just one late payment, you skyrocket their interest to 30%. That if they so much as inquire about leasing a car, you raise their rates. You don't want the public to know that while over 7 million families have filed for bankruptcy in the last five years, you got Congress to change the bankruptcy code to make it next to impossible for people to discharge credit card debt. You don't want people to know that the credit card industry is essentially a pack of hyenas crunching on the bones of the poor, do you? I smell something awful. 
I think it's you. Yes. This case has the stench of big tobacco and asbestos all over it. Luckily, our firm has nine offices around the U.S., London, and Hong Kong, strategically positioned for massive class action suits. And once the company you represent smells it too, they'll find you not nearly smart or powerful enough, and they'll drop you for a firm that employs expertise and intimidation rather than down-home hokum and smiley handshakes. And this is my favorite part. When your firm fires your obsequious ass for losing their client, oh my God, the stress. Your tan will fade. You'll gain a few pounds, drink a bit more, scream at the kids, and maybe your wife will finally leave you for the realtor who sells your house. Because after all, he'll still be able to afford Christmas in Aruba and next year's convertible. Hey, fella, don't worry about it. It'll be a hoot. All right, may I just take a moment and say something horribly unpopular? Uh-uh. The condescending attitude of Alan Shore really got to me here. I, I squinted my way through that whole scene, and ever since I've watched, you know, this again... When he started to get personal, you know, this guy was, yes, I know it was a fake charm, but, you know, he's there, not adversary, he's not yelling or anything. And, and I don't know, people applauded this whole speech, but I just felt like, God, when he starts talking about the guy not being smart and... It's kind of unprovoked. Yeah. He's going to lose his tan, he's going to gain weight, he's going to lose. He's gonna go to drink, yell at his kids, wife's going to leave him. Are we supposed to believe that uh, he comes up with all that stuff as he goes, too? Oh, you mean that Alan is Alan, yeah. Is just, able to... just, I mean, it's very well written, but it sounds written, if you know uh, what I'm saying. Well, I suppose, you know, all lawyers do kind of make their notes, but, and that may be... Just... I mean, it's just such a long speech it that it, uh, it's just that good. Well, yeah, I, I still think that, you know, in the context of the show, that he prepares for that yeah. meeting, and, and he wants to do as best he can to to intimidate the guy. You know, it's interesting, because he does, Alan does use this word, that hit, that the the um, credit card company will now employ a law firm that employs intimidation. I think he was implying that that would be like they do, like like Alan is maybe doing it, right. but or like uh, dare I say, like maybe Brad did. That is so distasteful for Alan. So you know, two faced Alan. I'm going to get killed for that. Yeah, you might um, catch, catch a couple emails. But I don't mind all the good facts and figures, and I think those are all good and true and should be known. Yeah, Wilmington Delaware. With the delivery. Yeah. I, yeah, or Alan, maybe in general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we already knew that. Alan is not done, and and I think when I heard this is when I really got... Yeah, no, Alan's never done, but this oh. is pretty mean. So Melvin comes back in with a settlement offer, and you know he seems pretty pleased. You know He was moved by Melissa's situation and wanted to help, and so did his company. We've decided to forgive all debts and loans to Melissa. Just wipe it clean. How about that? Now I'm touched. Of course, <clears throat> my people are concerned about precedent and others demanding similar amnesty, so the offer would have to be conditioned on confidentiality. Hmm. Well, may I say, as a personal aside, it has been a real pleasure meeting both you and Melissa, and I wish you continued health and happiness in the future. You know, we have a little saying in Massachusetts. Maybe someday you'll get horribly sick and die. Until then. <laughs> you, you dog. Oh. You dog. Yeah, you dog. I guess that's the best way you could handle that.
You just laugh it off. That's that's Melvin for you. Yeah. You know. But uh, he's going to put a gun to his head when he gets home, I think. After or at least cry in the corner. Yeah. A lot of people did find that actually a very compelling speech, of course. And, well, almost everybody, too. I haven't seen anybody not like it. I was going to say, you're probably in the minority there. I'm the only one. <laughs> I'm the only one. And I really hate it when people don't like Boston Legal. And, and I love Boston Legal. But but here's, here's one person that was truly, truly impressed by Alan Shore's argument. And this is not a come on. It is just a statement of fact. When you rattled off that whole, you don't want the public to know laundry list, that was the single sexiest thing I've ever seen a man do. You should see me when I do it naked. I'm just going to go um, change my screensaver. <laughs> Cute. <She's> next. <laughs> next. I don't know. Lizzie may be in line for next. <laughs> Lizzie, by the way, if you guys didn't see the episode, it's the prostitute that was in jail with Melissa. That Alan has a history with. Oh, yeah. Way. they were. It was like old friends meeting again. Where have he, you been? He's just connected. That's all. He knows a lot of people. <laughs> Okay, now it's, now we're going to take a step onto that frigid cold balcony in Boston where no man in their right mind, of course, that probably applies, <laughs> would <Yeah. laughs> go in December. Well, Denny called himself crazy in this episode. That's true. All right, I'd love to see him in his little wool cap and mittens. <laughs> or at least something. Something. Not just their suits. Yeah. Well, I guess they've had a lot of scotch before they've injured out and they feel pretty yeah, numb right now. Maybe the company has pick, picked up some sort of a space heater out there. <laughs> as you listen to this, uh, as all of you listen to this, and Kyle and I know it by heart, uh, listen to the word, find the word, the word that uh, so many people wrote me about. Like, what was that word? And uh, also kind of think about in terms of what what was not said. Some things were said by Alan and some things were not said in... in how does that pertain to, I guess, the triangle of men, right? Denny and Brad and Alan. Yeah. Okay. We won our case, did you hear? I did. Brad must be relieved. How'd your case with hands go? Well, can I ask you something, friend to friend? Of course. Shirley made this comment. Don't make it about me. Do I do that? Get out of town. Seriously. Do I act like I'm the only one in the room? Denny, one of the things I love about you is when we talk, often it's as if you're not even in the room. Promise. I was brilliant, by the way. I wish you'd been there, Alan. I wish I had as well, Denny. I must tell you, though, it's not that I don't appreciate the value of fascistic problem-solving, but given Brad and the FBI's tactics here, if I had been the prosecutor, Brad would be in prison tonight. And if I represented the pedophile, I'd be getting him out. Not a shot him. Right. Think we'll ever see the day when the defense lawyer will be legally permitted to shoot the defendant? We seem to be making progress. <laughs> Denny Crane, I'll be your attorney. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. It was. It always is on balcony. <laughs> Did you pick up on the word? Fascistic. Ooh, you said it too. 
fascistic. Fascistic. Yeah, I got a bunch of people asking, what is that? What is that? And Sounds actually, like fascist to me. Yeah. Fascist, yeah. And um, I had a neuro-linguistic programmer write me, Dr. Gary Daniel, and he told me. Well, of course, I could look it up in my dictionary, but um, <laughs> he, he sent it right first thing in the morning and right after the episode aired, and he said what it was, like you said, part of derivative of fascist, and uh, it's opinionated or stubborn. This is what was applied to, I guess, the actions of Brad running in there and just, you know, doing that. And then I, you know, I started looking a little bit further. Sometimes it's fun to, to do the epitomology, right? Or is that the study of words? I can't remember. And, uh, the fascism, fascist symbol, you know, the Italian movement is, yeah. um, there's a movement's emblem and it's a bunch of rods kind of tied around in an axe head. So I thought, well, there's another tie in. There you go. <laughs> an axe head. There's no, um, disembodied fingers though, are there? No. Oh. <laughs> Fingers. <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Uh, any any comments from what you think about as far as, you know, this sort of pensive look that Alan had and, and maybe his attitude about um, Denny defending Brad? Or am I just reading into that? I think you might be. Okay. I don't know. I definitely think there's still that tension between them and, like, Denny's the go-between. But I don't know. Okay, maybe I'm actually someone wrote and I'll read their letter in the email section that had an opinion on that too. So we'll see what they saw. But I, I think that Alan's worked really hard to, to win Brad uh, Denny over to his side and, and, you know, Denny still has some loyalty to Brad too. I mean, he's, I, I guess I could see that. Episode one, season one, very first words of the whole series started out. Other than Denny Crane, Denny Crane, Denny Crane. And then it was like, Brad, that's great to see you. Everybody knows Brad. You know, he didn't, Denny didn't know anybody else in the room, even though they're all partners or, you know, yeah. head people of their various, but he knows Brad. Brad and him go way back. Yeah, they do. Although you wouldn't know it now, looking at it now. Yeah, I know. It's changed. And it doesn't bother Brad much. All right. Or at least he doesn't show it. <laughs> we have the greatest, I, I missed it. Kyle Abney's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Take it away. Yeah. All right. The good, the bad, and the ugly for the 10th episode of season two, Legal Deficit. The first thing under the good would be an, an, this whole last two arc with the episode gone and this episode was really centric on Brad, which is great. We need Now we just need a Paul episode and we'll be set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's coming up, right? I, I, we've mentioned it before. I think it is coming up with uh, his daughter. Yeah. Um, also, next thing I put, I put under the good, you didn't see it apparently, but I did chemistry between Brad and Denise. I noticed it, and romance is always fun, especially on this show, with the way David E. Kelly writes these characters. So I like to see the way things develop between the two of them in the future. Maybe I'm reading into it too much, because like you said, you, you didn't see it, but I'm sure I'm not the only one who did. Also, uh, Denny coaching a closing statement, yet again. Uh, he's done it before with Alan. He coached Alan into how to close properly and what phrases to use with what judge with what judges and this time he does it with Shirley um, reminding her to use the, a certain phrase to win her case and it works out for her and I thought that was a nice little uh, callback to a previous episode and the last thing I'd like to mention under the good would be uh, we just talked about this when we were talking about the balcony scene would be uh, Alan boasting on the balcony about how if he had been uh the prosecutor, Brad, would be in prison, and if he had been representing the pedophile, uh, the pedophile would be getting off. And I think that 
little cocky flair he's got is one of the things that made Melissa said say what she said about him in this episode. Cocky is a good word for him. He is very cocky. Alan Cocky Shore. That's his, yeah, it's his He name. backs it up, though, so it's okay. Okay. Um, moving on to the bad, um, the first thing I'd like to mention where I think you, you touched on this before and how you, you might be in minority, but I kind of agree with you. The way Alan handled um, Melvin, I don't think that, I mean, I know he, we know, we all know he's a little sarcastic and he takes offense real easily and he's just an abrasive guy, but I don't think the best way to handle Melvin Palmer was the way that Alan did word whipping in the way he did because word even, whipping. Well, even the way um, we know Melvin probably was isn't genuine, and that that's all you know fake charm that he turns on to try and you know get his job done. But sure. I still don't think he deserved what Alan gave him. And uh, the other thing I, I put under the bat for this week was um, now even Brad and Denise, the two like golden children of Crane Pool and Schmidt, have done something, you know, morally questionable for a greater good, as just like they've criticized Alan and the rest of them for doing. So they're really all in the same boat now. That's true. And only one thing under the ugly this week, The I would also like to mention under the last week, I didn't get to do uh, Good, Bad, and Ugly because I wasn't here for the podcast, but that the hand chopping off scene was a very ugly scene, and I'd like to mention that. But uh, in this in this week, the ugly thing goes to a different form of hand, um, Jerry Hand, who is a very nice, quirky character, fits right into the firm, but when he started yelling at the bank's representative, caught me off guard, and I'm, I'm putting the, the broad deception under the ugly thing, because I didn't see it coming from such a nervous guy. Yeah, that is interesting. That was out of character, unless, you know, he just keeps it in, keeps it in, explodes. Keeps yeah, keeps that that's a good way to look at it, though. Is he just it was probably bugging him the whole time the guy was talking, and it finally got to a point where he just couldn't take it anymore. So I like your little theme of appendage offenses. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, the ugly appendage offenses from yeah. both episodes. From gone, and it, this, this, these two episodes almost read like a two two part story. You know? Indeed, so. yeah. can't. And that's the good, bad, and the ugly. Oh, very well, very well done. And Thank would you. would you please write that up and. Yeah, 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 yeah. My eye hurts, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I'm on winter. I'm on winter break right now, and uh, Boston Legal's not on, so no excuses, right? Oh, well, unless you want to rest up your appendages <laughs> from typing. <laughs> now you should be looking for the first one very soon. Actually, excellent. Okay, everybody, you wanna you wanna come back and read that on the episode pages? Yes. We don't have a preview. This is the first time they haven't shown a preview. Uh, a video preview, that is, after the episode. Well, for... that could be because the episode's so far away. Yeah, it's like, th- like four weeks. Yeah, we have like a re- we have reruns before it, right? Yes, we do. Air. So then right. maybe they'll they'll attack on a, a trailer there. That's a good point. Yeah, at the end of, that's on the just just around Christmas. Yeah. All right, so we we will give them a little verbal. And why don't you just do a quick rundown of of what's going to happen in the sure. episode eleven? The next episode will. The Cancer Man came. We've talked about this episode before. It'll air on January 10th, 2006. And um, it's guest starring Michael J. Fox. And the storyline little blurb here we have is, Denny is being honored but is too busy having sex in the coat closet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With whom? We'll see. Shirley and Denise represent Daniel Post, that's Michael J. Fox's character, a wealthy man who is in a double-blind study for a cancer cure and was specifically given 
the drug instead of the placebo, which is a no-no in a double-blind study. And also, Brad is up for partner, which I'm sure you'll love to see, but Shore advocates Jerry Hans Eftison, who was introduced in this episode. Um, Denny having sex at the big charity event must have been what they were filming at the Millennium Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles on October 12th. We had a report of, of that a couple of podcasts back. Mm-hmm. And this, that's the storyline where Joanna Cassidy is Beverly Bridge, um, who steals the heart of Denny Crane at a charity dinner. So we can look forward to see that on January 10th. That's good. Joanna Cassidy, who plays Bev, Bev Bridge, she's going to be around for several episodes. In fact, I even have seen a sneak peek at a script from February where she's she's still there and quite factors in quite heavily into the characters of Crane Paul and Schmidt. Um, she also was, she started in Sp- with Spader years and years ago. There was a series, Spader was in another C- TV series. Did you know? I did not. I thought he was movie actor prior to I know. And practice. That, so they, I think this is the first time he stepped. No, it was called The Family Tree. He played a kid. He was, it was on <laughs> NBC from February to March in 83. I wonder it didn't if it was, last very long. Not very long at all. But she was in that. Okay. All right. We're going to jump to our parallel universe. We're going to, beam ourselves into Trek in the courtroom. (laughs) (laughs) And this is, of course, every week brought to you by Deb from Montreal. She has her feet firmly planted in both worlds and so sees the similarities instantly, which I would never be able to do, so I'm so appreciative of her. And, oh, and I have her document with pictures and everything um, on the website if you go to uh, the Star Trek link, and it's also it's boston-legal.org forward slash Star Trek then you can click on each episode. I've got only two up there now. I've got a lot more. And I'm three, I'm sorry, up there now. And you can see the pictures because the first uh, theme is the introverted expert. Well, that would be Jerry Hans Espenson. But in Star Trek Next Generation, they had their own resident um, weirdo. <laughs> I guess he was a warp core engineer. His name was Lieutenant Reginald Barkley. He was a very shy but extremely talented engineer who doesn't do well in public speaking situations. And she says she also sees a physical resemblance, maybe even an inspiration between these two characters' hands and the lieutenant. And uh, and it, it is amazing when you see them side by side. So definitely go look at that. She has pictures of them side by side. Um, but unlike hands, Barkley will shake hands. Dr. Cochran, I know this sounds silly, but can I shake your hand? That was the lieutenant talking. <laughs> and the other theme on this episode, Between Legal Deficits, and Star Trek was vigilante justice. We kind of touched on that again from last week because the same thing was happened with Gone. Gone, yeah. Uh, Spock, who we've made comparisons before, is kind of an Allen figure. Surprise, surprise, Denny Crane is kind of a Kirk figure. Uh, Spock's always fond of sailing that, saying that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Um, and, but Kirk once told him that the rescue was because the needs of the one outweighed the needs of the many. Now, does that not sound like Denny? Yeah, it does. Yeah, Alan likes to take the underdog and help them out. Denny likes to go for the high-profile case and the big guys, you know, make them Well, because the story's about him. The story's about him? It's Yeah. What? The story's not about me? <laughs> this and for Alan, thing. the story's about the poor. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Did you catch that earlier? He said poor funny. Oh, he said poor? Yeah, he said the poor. Poor. No, I didn't catch that. That, that was interesting. Anyway. Oh, Boston thing. Yeah. Um, well, Kirk in the depth goes on to write, well, Kirk ignored the rules whenever they don't make sense or fit a situation. And that was the case with Denny as well. Yeah. I don't I don't agree with that. I don't understand that. So uh, moving on. Okay. But, uh, but a lot of similarities uh, to vigilante, vigilante justice was, like we said, covered in the episode Gone. Yeah. 
And finally, theme three was loan sharks and hookers. <laughs> she has a picture of, <laughs> uh, of a Ferengi, which is in um, one of the Star Trek uh, series. I can't remember which one. And the Dapo girls, the oldest trade in the world is alive and well in the 24th century, apparently. So are loan sharks and gambling. The Ferengis are really big on that, I guess. Right. Alan seems to have a rapport with many ladies of the evening, including an escort with a wooden leg. Remember her? I do. And the elf. We don't know if she's a lady of the evening, but, you know, could Maybe. be. <laughs> and, uh, and Deb finishes everything by saying, the assistant DA Dan Fielding is alive and well in Boston. <laughs> that was from <laughs> Night Court. He was, he was a friend of the hookers as well, I believe. Okay. Thank you very much, Deb. We look forward to that every week. Yes, we do. We have some news for our friends, and we promise news every week. And now we, we do know we're going to be preempted uh, next week for a Barbara Walters special. Again. Yeah, and then on the 27th, they're going to have an a-, a two hours worth of Boston Legal. It's going to be a repeat of The Black Widow and Schadenfreude. So that's right. good. And oh, let's don't forget, December 24th, Mark Valley's birthday. Happy birthday. Send him a card. Yeah, do that. <laughs> and, and the January 3rd Tuesday night will be preempted once again for football. Woo-hoo. Oh, well. January 5, the SAG Award nomination. So get up at 6 a.m. if you're on the Pacific time zone. Watch it. Screen Actors Guild for anyone who Thank you. didn't understand SAG. SAG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big one. That's a big one for the actors because it's the, the actors peers. nominating the actors. Exactly. Yes. Let's hope because uh, should we speak? Well, we'll talk about the Emmys in a second. Yes, we will. Um, there's a, several new titles up on the website under calendar four episodes coming up well into February, but the one I just added a day or so ago was an episode titled There's Fire. And I won't give away anything at this point, but I, but one quote from Denny Crane, he says, what am I supposed to do? Beam myself to Boston every morning? Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle, why don't you quickly run through some interesting facts and figures about the ratings from the legal deficits episode. Okay, recent ratings for Boston Legal, the December 13th episode that we just deconstructed, Legal Deficit, totaled out at 11.7 million viewers, and in the household, that was 6.7 out of 11, and number six on the night. And the adult 18-49 demographic, it was a 3.2 share, which was number seven for the night. Um, NBC's Law and Order SVU, which was a rerun that night, and which is our biggest competition, still came at 7.6 out of 12, came in first of the night, followed by Amazing Race. So we finished in a strong third yet again, which still enough to keep the show on the air comfortably. Um, it, the show, Boston Legal, ranked number 32 for the week of December 5th to 11th, uh, 2005, with 9,540,000 viewers total. That's 3.4 share. And it ranked number 28 of the season to date from September 19th, 19th to December 11th with uh, 11,220,000 viewers. That's a 4.0 share. So, so top 30 for the... Yeah, not bad for a show that people that was, got kicked out of its time slot. Yeah. And, uh, it's interesting, though. So that's the average, 11.2 million viewers for the season. Yeah, so mm-hmm. right now we're, this episode is 11.7, so this is above average episode. Aha. And also another little ratings tidbit. Uh, Boston Legal is ranked number 11 on TiVo's most recorded shows chart as of December 16th, so that would be yesterday. So last week it was number nine, and there are more than 110 million households in the U.S., and only 2.73% of which own TiVo's, which is only about 3 million people. But still, it's an important figure because 
people who aren't watching the show The Night It Airs and aren't being, being counted by Nielsen yeah. are being counted by TiVo. Very good point. Thank you very much, Kyle. Thank you. Anybody who's looking for a new show to watch, why don't you try out Emily's Reasons Why Not? It's a, a new show on ABC. It starts January 9, but the reason to watch it is the premiere episode has Mark Valley in it. He plays a not eh, charming but not as nice character, so it would be fun to see him in that situation playing against Heather Graham, who's Emily. Kyle, we had some news t- this week. Award news. The Gold Globe. That's right. What happened? Congrats to Candace Bergen, who was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role in a Series, Miniseries, or Motion Picture Made for Television. A lot of people then she was against if it covered all those categories. Yeah, exactly. So she was nominated, but she was the only one from uh, the cast. Well, I mean, James and William Shatner's you know, trophy cabinets are getting a little full, so maybe they're just <laughs> taking a break. And it's good. And she has a whole slew of Emmys, but it's been a little while. Yeah, it has. So when it... The Golden Globe's that foreign press? Uh, yeah, foreign press. Okay. So when do we have that to look forward to? That They will be handed out January 16th, uh, 2006. On NBC. Okay. Yes, on NBC. Let's hope she wins. She deserves it. Fingers crossed. Well, Boston Legal popped up in a very unusual place this week. <laughs> it was a, <laughs> there's another TV show on the WB. It's a reality show called Cheaters. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, I've watched it sometimes late at night. <laughs> Good for a laugh every now and then. It is. I mean, they just follow people around who may be cheating on their spouses. And catch them in the act. And catch them in the act. <laughs> oh, I need to watch this. So I guess they were filming a show in Texas. <laughs> Texas. Uh-huh. And, uh, well, the host and the director and a couple security guards got overzealous. They were following a, a woman who was having sex in a police car, well, an unmarked car with a police chief captain person um, cheating on her husband. It wasn't her husband. And when she tried to run away, they allegedly assaulted her, the host, the two security cards, and the director to try and keep her on camera. So wow. there was charges filed with assault. And the greatest quote of all, though, what does it have to do with the Boston Legal? Well, the cheaters, creator and executive producer Bobby Goldstein, told the newspaper the charges were just nuts. And he joked he was going to hire Denny Crane from Boston Legal to represent his staff. <laughs> Perfect representation for that sort of case. It is. All right, quick update on what's new over at bostonlegal.org. Well, I've I've had computer problems, Kyle, just like you. I think. Yeah, it happens to the best of us. So not a lot of updates, actually. We have, thanks to I'm a Mess, there is a transcript for legal deficits up there. and that's So you can go see the text of that monologue you've all been emailing Dana about. That's right. And I, I mentioned this last week. I'm going to just mention it again because I'm not having any takers. But I, I have a plea, actually, to put out there. Uh, Mad TV, back in November 26, did a parody of Boston Legal, and I heard it was really funny. It's um, If anybody's looking for it, it's episode 1107. That's season 11, episode 7. Um, I, I thought I was on track to find it. I found a <laughs> BitTorrent that was capturing every single, you know, had available every single episode. Skipped number 7, though. So anybody who has Figures. it. Yeah. Oh, and I, the interesting thing, I'm not the only one that wants to see it. I, I have visitor stats for my website and I, and okay. I see an ISPU stinker there quite often. You know, that's the David E. Kelly people. So it also shows how they got to the site and if they did a Google search rather than a direct link. And there was a Google search, Mad TV Boston Legal, and it came from the ISP at David E. Kelly Productions. So, so they're looking for it too, you guys. So if you want to, you know, court the favor of David E. Kelly people, let's help me find this and put, we can put the video up there. All right. All right. 
it's time to hear from you, everybody who has written. We, I know we've alluded to you already. There's the comment section on the front page of boston-legal.org. And, of course, we have that phone number that Kyle gave earlier and an email. So let's just start out with a phone call. This one came in from, well, you know, he didn't say his name, but he did rather enjoy the episode. And here's what he said. I'd like to start off by saying that I think Boston Legal is a excellent television show that I enjoy most definitely. I'm going to discuss the most recent episode uh, with the criminal trial of Brad and uh, the credit card suit. I'd just like to say, I mean, this is spontaneous, but I just called. I saw your thing on the Internet. Wow. You know, it never ceases to amaze me uh, how this show tops itself each and every episode. I'd like to start with... Uh, with Alan Shore in the credit card case because Alan Shore's character is a very moving character. Uh, and I tend to feel, uh, his storyline a bit deeper. Alan Shore, you can tell he's made a transformation over the past few weeks, uh, from when he had first started on the show. And, uh, it really shines through, uh, in this storyline. It really shows his desire to be a part of charity, in a sense, a part of changing, not so much charity, but more of a part of um, being part of the bigger structure of change. And uh, I found it interesting because at the same time, I felt kind of had problems with the fact that maybe it was too, I don't know, too individual, especially with the confidentiality statement in the end. I don't, you know, he's an amazing character simply for the fact that he gets emotionally invested, which any good lawyer needs to do. And uh, he really describes the emotion in order to not contradict himself with words because he never contradicts the emotion. And that's a beautiful thing to watch. His speech was was a great speech, as always. So thank you very much. If you guys want to call, there's a phone number, an 800 number right on the front page of the site. We'd like to hear your comments. Do it after the Cancer Man Can episode. Let me know what you think. We got a bunch of emails. It's hard to pick one, but I'm going to quickly read through a couple of them. One was from a minister, Reverend Felicia. She wrote me and she says, I'm really hoping to get a copy of that episode and its transcript. She's talking about legal deficits. I'm a minister of the gospel and currently working on a ministry project centered around debt elimination in the credit card industry. That was great. And, uh, you know, I told her about the transcript and we've probably exchanged about four or five emails now. She's just thrilled and, um, uh, that she could get this and really happy that we did the transcription for that. So that's good. And she's actually looking for the episode. She didn't tape it. So I don't know. Huh. We'll see if she may find it. She's going to actually listen to this podcast and maybe grab that audio if she can. There you go. We heard from Chris. He's, uh, he writes us a lot and he gives us some good insight onto the show. So I, I just got to keep reading his emails. Um, first of all, he says, number one, Denny still has it. Is the ultimately identified the winning approach to Brad's case. He did. He did. Number two, Denny's examination of Brad was priceless. Number one, number two, number three. <laughs> <laughs> number three, I really, really, really despise the priest. To give, you didn't have that in your ugly, did you? No, I did. But if we had talked in the Gone episode. I would have mentioned have... it in Gone. Yeah. yeah. Give the guy who played him a big hand because he did a great job of irritating me with the mannerisms and the dialogue. <laughs> did he really have to say, give him a hand? Oh, was that necessary? That was good. <laughs> <laughs> that also reminds me in the scene when uh, 
when Shirley was cross-examining him, she kind of twiddled her fingers at him, kind of waved. <laughs> that was yeah, cute. That was rude. <laughs> that was rude. <laughs> Number four, Shirley's cross-examination of the priest was superb. There you go. And uh, now for my rant. What the heck was Alan thinking as he sat on the balcony talking to Denny? If he were a DA, Brad would have gone to jail? If he were the pedophile's lawyer, the guy would have be getting off free? I know Alan's a great lawyer and probably could do those things, but time and time again he's proven that he has the capacity to break the law for the right reasons, like, hey, saving a five-year-old boy from rape and death. I want to think the scene was supposed to show us conceitedness on Alan's part, but it came across as his upholding to the same beliefs identified by the DA in the closing. I really think the writers could have done a better job of showing self-pride or conceitedness without identifying with the belief that the law has to be followed to the letter, common sense just thrown out. So there, you know, I think I agree with Chris on that very much so. I think that Alan... I think I would as well. Maybe the writers were trying to show that uh, Alan just had this, I'm going to use the other C word, condescending attitude toward Brad. And, and He really does. And he's, like I've mentioned before, he's also very cocky. Which cocky. Part of the reason he said what he said on the balcony. Alan Cocky Short. Finally, I'm going to um, do something I haven't done before, and I think it's a, probably a good thing to do, is mention a blog. It's feedback. It's not a feedback to me, but uh, there's a the lot show. of people blogging about the show, exactly. And I don't know this guy, but I definitely say go to Dean's World's blog. It's at D-E-A-N-E-S-M-A-Y, that's his name, dot com. He said, and I thought this is great, i got to go comment on his blog. It's Laugh Out Loud Funny. He's talking about the show Boston Legal. And a thinker. It takes every absurdity in the legal system and raises it to a high level of comedy. Just imagine every thorny legal issue, whether current or classic, and ask either William Shakespeare or Groucho Marx to put a pen to paper and write a short play about it. Or better yet, imagine both of them collaborating on it. I love it. It is true. They take these legal conventions that are absurd, and then, you know, whether it's William Shakespeare, the serious stuff, maybe. Right. Groucho Marx, the silly and absurd Yep. And they collaborate on it. And that's what you've got in the writers of Boston Legal. Mm-hmm. Wow. Aren't they going to be flattered if they ever heard this? Uh, they Maybe if they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> then Dean, Dean finishes. Yeah, maybe they will. Dean finishes. How can you not love this show? It's so gut-bustingly funny and yet intellectually challenging. It's a tour de force. Wow. That's good. I agree. That brings us bookmark that blog. Bookmark that blog. It's uh, Dean's World. DeanSMay.com. That brings us to the very end. Again, how sad. Oh, I might cry. Because <laughs> I'm a girl. <laughs> oh, no. Aww. Well, definitely tell a friend about Boston Legals on every Tuesday, except for the next several Tuesdays. Don't forget that. Yeah, reruns on December 27. In January 10, we have The Cancer Man Can with Michael J. Fox. And Hans will be back. Yes, he will. <laughs> and will Brad become a partner, or will it be Hans? Or how about Denise? We'll have to wait you never see. know. There is a clue. There's a picture over at abcmedianet.com. Okay. (laughs) But let's just say whoever is chosen, Denny practically knights them with the sword and everything. Wow. I know. Thanks so much for being with us again, Kyle. A pleasure. Thank you for having me. Why don't you quickly tell everybody how they can call us or email us? Sure. You can contact us by email at bostonillegal at gmail.com or you can call our toll-free number 1-800-986-8290 and leave a voice note. We want to hear what you have to say. Excellent. And until next time, remember... We look good, right? Uh, we look great. It's as simple as that. <laughs> you know, we have a little saying in Massachusetts. Maybe someday you'll get horribly sick and die. 
phenomenon. Deception and fraud. It's deception and fraud. Can't sue, can't sue. Too big, too big. Probably skipped over it in law school. Necessity. Look it up. Hack. Phenomenon.